Welcome aboard the ship that got its copy of Issue 3 before Jay Lee. It's the Redenbacher Podcast. I'm your Captain Matt Murphy, joined for another edition of the Redenbacher Book Club by none other than Commander Ben Bullerwell. What's up, Ben? Oh, you know, my man. Um, just uh, waking up on this beautiful Saturday morning, reading and watching a little bit of the Orville, getting ready to talk about a little bit of the Orville. How's uh, your day thus far, my friend? And day, it's a little too early to tell, but a week was made when Jay Lee actually uh, replied to us on uh, on Twitter, on the Redenbacher Twitter. We just asked, hey, who got their copy of issue three? And Jay Lee said to us, uh, I didn't even get my copy yet. And uh, that was pretty awesome. We've never uh, spoken to any of the cast members on Twitter, and that was great. Yeah, no, that was super awesome. Um, super neat stuff. Yeah, uh, I love Jay Lee, and it was great because uh, we've interacted with both the artists, David Cabeza, the artist behind this book, and the star of this issue of the comic. So everything's coming up aces for the Rittenbacher. That's a win, yeah. Yeah, th- this comic heavily uh, was heavily influenced by the events of Krill, episode six of season one. So we went back and rewatched that, and uh, I took a couple notes on some stuff that might be relevant for this episode just to refresh myself uh, to talk about this because it definitely uh, is heavily involved. Yeah, and uh, it was actually an episode, be it from the first season, that we've actually not discussed um, yet. So, yeah, it's definitely good to go back and really analyze the episode. Because, yeah, when I first read through the comic, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. But, like, I don't really remember, like, the context and everything. Um, after giving it a nice rewatch, things are pretty damn fresh. <laughs> they connect so well, too. It's almost like they thought ahead. Like, there's some lines in here that I'm going to pinpoint in a couple minutes that really do seem like either they thought ahead of, like, here's some plot points I'm going to leave out there that people can fill in later, or the guys on the second end just seamlessly connected to it because it fits really well into the story. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty crazy. Um, just off the bat, one thing I'll, I'll say is that I noticed, and this is like a, just a small thing I noticed. I don't know if it has to do with anything, but in the first in the first scene in the episode, it's the, it's the famous scene where they find out that Bordas can eat and digest anything. And I love that so much. Yeah, it, it's great. Gordon is eating sushi there, and he's eating the same food in the comic when uh, the three uh, Avis guys there uh, come in. Oh, and by the way, we're going full spoilers for the comic and this episode of Krill. So if you haven't read the comic. Or seen the episode, uh, which I'm sure you've seen the episode. But if you haven't read the comic, end it here. <laughs> yeah, just press pause. Go read the comic because we are going to be talking, like we full always spoilers. do, in in depth. Full spoilers, like Matt said. <laughs> so don't get mad if you think we spoil anything. Read the book first. Yeah, read it first. Definitely go read it and purchase it. This was a great issue, and they've been definitely uh, doing a great job with the IP in the comic world. So definitely pick up issue three, and it's a two-parter, so we'll be talking about The Word of Avis part one today, part one of two. And uh, it's funny, this this whole plot of this episode where uh, Ed and Gordon have to infiltrate the Krill ship, it's almost like a stand-up joke. Like, you hear the one about the two atheists that boarded a Krill ship? Like, it's so ridiculous. Yeah, it's so funny. Like, the episode alone, wow, Rewatching that, I, you know... I've always said that season two is better than season one, but like rewatching this, like I thought this was like a a top tier episode. It's actually really, really, really good. I love this. I love watching the episode. And yeah, it did. I'm in the same state as you were, where season one, I feel like season two really did what season one did, but even better. But I feel like season one, I thought Priya was probably the best episode. And then this was awesome, too. So. Who knows? I mean, we're going to definitely do the season one uh, rewatch through because we've got plenty of time before season three premieres. But this has me excited to do it even more so. It was cool to see Talia on the ship, too. Like after seeing what she goes through to become Lieutenant Janelle Tyler, that's really cool to see her beforehand to see like what mental state she's in, like that Ed leaves her in the sense that she would want to flip on people and just be like, OK, you infiltrated me. You made me feel like a fool. Now I'm going to go do it to you. 
I feel like we have a much greater view of Talia after season two. So to go back with what we know she ends up doing, it really helps illuminate uh, how she's feeling and what she might do. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like we we know that her brother was on the Krill vessel that got destroyed. Um, Then she was infiltrated. She, you know, they reached out to her kind of like as like a friend. Well, more like she reached out to them and then they kind of reciprocated. Mm. Um, So like, yeah, Talia has been put into like a really... Oh, man. Um, Like, she does have every reason to be mad at Ed. I think it's a really moving point, like, in the end scene, Mm -hmm. when she's talking, and she's like, why did you save the children? He's like, they're just children. Like, you know, like, they're not my enemy. Like, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, after they saw what you've done here today, like, they will be. There's gonna be some hateful uh, Krill in the future. (laughs) The problem with the Ed and and Talia relationship, whether it's romantic or not, is the uh, Akana teaches that you know, Krills are the only living being with a soul. So just by definition, she doesn't think Ed has a soul. But she sees that this is a guy who's infiltrating their people that are at war with them, but doesn't is do- doing everything he can to save the children from going through any harm. So she must know that somewhere deep down, he has compassion. So, you know, I think she knows that despite the beliefs that have been hammered into her, Ed does have a soul or at least, uh, you know, is a caring being, not like a heartless maniac. And that kind of flies in the face of everything she's been taught her whole life. Like, even in the scene when they're in the classroom, and there's one very, very deep thinker, and he asks, um, he asks about, if humans have no souls, how can they, you know, like, build spaceships, and how can they do this, and how can they, you know, so, like, there's this kid, and, you know, he's questioning his faith. So, I mean, if even, like, a child can see it, I think there might be a bright future for the Krill one day, but Talia's been raised in an environment um that's seriously religious like it'd be sacrilege to question the word of avis right so but yes like she's she's met edge she's seen that people maybe aren't quite as same as like you know the beasts and that the krill aren't perhaps um like the superior being yeah exactly so we see their plight aboard the akar where they go to get the krill bible the uh akan and it's really interesting i highlighted this line when they're scanning it and they only took photos you think they have a better way of like completely copying matter over or like scanning it but either way they take basically like screenshots like uh, like i would do to take notes of something in class or something what's funny is as they're reading this i think it's ed orborn i think it's Gordon says xenoanthropologists will be looking at this through this for months which was you know, that's exactly what we're looking at in this <laughs> issue of the comic. So it's very well, well tied together. Yeah, absolutely. The stitch work is flawless. Yeah. So I think maybe that could have been a kernel of an idea in their head when uh, when they were thinking of the xenoanthropologists. And wouldn't you know it, um, we just looked it up and the Krill episode was written by David A. Goodman. So that's connective tissue. He might have been thinking, like, I'm sure these comics aren't something that just fell out of the blue. And they know that they would know that one day they're going to do it because they created the show in like a almost like in the mirror image of Star Trek. And Star Trek had comics pretty early on, too. So it's, you know, I, I think that they definitely plan this uh, well in advance. Um, yeah, I would say it was it was either planned. Um, I mean, obviously, like, you know, you don't just spring the idea and have comics like, you know, like. Hmm two months later so i'd say you're probably right like this probably was something that they've been looking into for a while like after probably like season one did exceptionally well they're probably like hey you know what like we should start making something in the future we should have some plans for another medium and also i mean when you think about it like this could also be like david um having not enough time in a 42 45 minute whatever episode to really dive as deep as he would have liked to so now maybe that the comics have been like made um it's given him probably like an opportunity to go back 
and to address some things that he may have not had time for in the actual yeah. episode. And flesh it out, yeah. That makes sense to me. Either way, I mean, he's he's done a phenomenal job, and we don't know what your intentions are, David, but you've done a hell of a good job. <laughs> like One thing, it's funny, we see Talia there as basically like a, a teacher or an educator or some sort with these students, and it's funny because after, you know, after season one, Ed and Kelly both end up dating teachers. Just I was just going to say that. I was going to say she's pretty much like the cautious, like, counterpart. Like She's like the mirror image of Cassius, where she is just like, you know, she's super devout to like religion and blah, 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 blah. Like, she, I feel like she is almost like a, a complete counter to Cassius where Cassius is almost like a little laid back not as like aggressive and she is like the opposite yeah. of that where she dives herself fully into everything and is like you know uh, no one can tell me I'm wrong kind of mentality tune in next week as we do a complete character comparison between like... yeah Cassius and Talia but no I, I think that that's a very interesting parallel yeah it is I mean you know Ed and Kelly break up they both end up dating teachers it's yeah. kind of weird man exactly um so is there anything else you want to mention about the episode? I want kind of light on it because I think we're going to do a deep dive later on. But anything else you want to say about it? So, yeah, I, I don't really have too much more to say at no. all, actually. We'll save that for another day. Yeah, I'll mention that Ed and Gordon observed like a religious ceremony. They almost go to like a little, a little like the Krill ship has their own kind of like temple on the car. So they go through that and there's like an infamous scene where uh, they stab a head with like a knife repeatedly. And there's a panel of that. And David captured that moment like perfectly. I literally just saw it on the show and then went back and reread it. And like it looks like it was ripped right from the page. So really good recreation of that by David. It is actually like almost a little chilling, you know, <laughs> you see you're like, oh, my God, wait, it's like digging up past trauma or something yeah um, he mentioned that the mocklins were super hard to draw but i can only imagine like the krill seems super tough to me to draw as well i would say the krill should be just as hard as mocklins probably like if you look at all like the ridges on their face like their uh, little chin pincer thing going on there yeah i don't know if you've watched uh much of star trek deep space nine but there's a species they're not exclusively in ds9 i don't think but they're called the cardassians very close to the kardashians but we're not keeping up with them don't worry um but yeah and they, they look very similar i'd almost like to say that's where um they've got some inspiration from but yeah guys if you're not familiar with ds9 uh you should just like google star trek kardashian kardashian um but yeah just like their physical likeness is it's quite close yeah, no, I I think I've heard of the Cardassians before. That's that's a cool comparison. So yeah, definitely look that up. So, anyways, moving on to the comic, it was uh it was interesting. We open up with uh, Lamar and Gordon in uh, in a simulation of the Holy War of like uh, ancient times. I wish I knew what like this fight is supposed to be. If it's supposed to be like a reenactment, um, or like like a reference more so, I suppose, to like an actual like Holy War. I, I don't know much about history. I'm sorry, guys. Not a history yeah. buff. <laughs> yeah, human human history. We're a little uh, foggy on uh, Earth's history. You know, it's it's not the only history out there. The Redenbacher, we got to know the history of many planets. So, you know. No, it, it's, uh, <laughs> you just know, I, I think that it's important not, you know, it, it's foreshadowing later on there's going to be religious issues. You're like, wait, so those guys just kind of believe a slightly different version of this than us? Let's go kill them. Like, they're laughing at it, but then they still have the same issue with the Krill, where there's no easy solution with them either. Yeah, like when you when you actually like read like the comic there. Um, all right, you guys, let's kill those other guys who believe in exactly the same god that we do, but differently, and that just really annoys us. <laughs> like charge. And that's um, not even the simulation I'd want to do. Like Gordon says to Ed, like Ed, I cut off like ten guys' heads in there. You should come next time. And it's like mm, I'm good. It's funny because Gordon, you know, he he takes pleasure in like um, 
<laughs> like beheading ten people in like the simulator, but when he sees uh like the, the krill in the religious ceremony with the head, he's like, I think I'm gonna throw up. Yeah, that, that's a good note actually, because like you said, I need like a hundred pounds of aloe vera or whatever when you're they're getting back from the ship, and that disgusts him. Which is it's it's it was almost like it was like a real life simulation where he simulated the krill look on his body and then went into it. But simulations, fun, real life, nay. But that's the same way I am with video games. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, it's always fun to get a nice juicy headshot on some pleb, um, <laughs> but that doesn't mean anything in real life. Yeah. So, yeah, Ed is not excited about uh, joining them on their religious uh, studies there, but it looks like we're going to get it uh, either way. We're going to be look- diving into religion because we've got a Union transport ship that seems to be flying towards real space blindly and uh, and the crew tried to stop and put in the tractor beam. They, they don't turn off their engines, and they almost send them flying into Krill space, which actually would have been... They would have liked that, I bet. Yeah, that's probably what they wanted. <laughs> it's like, either way, either we get in their computer and mess with it, or they slingshot us into space, which they wouldn't, because the Union's pretty peaceful and doesn't want to just slingshot their problems over in someone else's yard. Boom! <laughs> like, yeah, I love when they explain stuff super easy to, to the people that aren't, like, scientifically uh, minded, and they're just like, yeah, be like a slingshot, be like an elastic band if they uh, use their engines in the tractor beam and get released. I like that. Yeah, no, it is like a really good um, way of kind of like illustrating the the idea, like what would um, happen, like physically speaking. They you don't feature on with Bender going like it's just like when too much air gets in a balloon and stuff like that. <laughs> like they know <laughs> what they're doing. It's, it, I like it. it. It's simple and I like it. When I was reading this the second time, I was like, oh my god, are they actually like gonna try to risk themselves blowing up? Like, is worshiping Avis more important to them than like living to go and learn more about it? Like, would they just explode themselves for this good concept? Who know? Who knows? No, I, but it turns out no. It turns out they had a much more well thought out plan than that. In that they did. Yeah, so Lamar, it's you know, it's his time to shine in this comic, and uh, he calls up and uh, he manages to link the trans, link their computers and engineering to the control panel on the shuttle there, and the transport, and they manage to turn off the engines. I didn't know you could do that, but apparently it has his co- its cost, as we find out later. Yeah, I mean, like it makes sense um, from like a technological standpoint. Um, it's kind of just like remote control, really. It's like if you think about it, it would be kind of like accessing your your computer from your cell phone um so like it makes sense like you know you like pretty much hack their system and then take control over it but yeah like brilliant like timing and everything like there's only like 4.7 seconds or something isaac mentions but lamar does it just in time but not without some weird feedback as dan mentions so that that's interesting why there would mm-hmm. be some weird feedback. oh well that can't be important let's disregard that yeah so <laughs> so with that we get the ship full of assholes taken into the hangar bay for further inspection and it's funny because gordon calls them a ship full of assholes and gordon and Bordas says that he could curse. So this is basically the first time Bordas has called someone an asshole, even if it's just by agreement. <laughs> Indirectly calling them an asshole, yeah. Just like. And for those who are on the Bordas swear word watch, I'm actually he called someone as an asshole in uh, scene seven of episode 102. No, you know, whatever. Right. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, loony in the swear jar. Well, actually, we have no currency, so uh, maybe a job title in the swear jar or something. A, a little bit of honor in the swear jar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, put some of your favorite stuff in here. But yeah, <laughs> uh, th- this was a nice little opening. So the crew goes to confront their new guests in the bay there, and they open the transport and they find Darden, who's there with two friends. One is a Terran, and the other is an alien of some sorts. And Darden says he's a xenoanthropologist, which is just like we heard uh, uh, them talk about in the krill episode coincident i don't know coincidence i don't know I'll but yeah get an interview with david pretty soon maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe after this is all over but yeah darden mentions that he's been neglecting his ship's maintenance which like 
I could see if like people not dealing with their car, like oh the engine lights on or whatever. But if this is like the one thing that lets you survive in the atmosphere or in in the environment you're in, period. I don't know. I I wouldn't be. I'd be checking on it more. But I think that there's a few reasons why they let their computers fall away like that. There's like a panel down there uh, with Kelly and Ed in presumably I think it would be Ed's office because I think I can see Kermit in the corner there. And she goes navigation malfunction, communication malfunction, sensor malfunction. They're either lucky to be alive or like. A part of me wants to say, oh, well, like, Darden, you know, like, we're like anthropologists, like, we're not, we're not tech savvy, you know, like engineers or anything. So as Lamar brings up later, Celeste went to engineering, like, with Lamar, so she should have the know-how to avoid these certain kind of, uh, what seems to be, like, basic maintenance, really, at, like, an engineering level. Yeah, so those people's beliefs caused them to throw away their, you know, scholarly pursuits for other means. Potentially. And one thing is funny, I actually went back to look for that Kermit there that you mentioned. It's like, where's Waldo with Kermit? It's like, oh, there he is. So I, I'm like, <laughs> David got to draw Kermit, but not for the Muppets. So, you know, if the Muppets are making a comic and they're looking for, you know, a great artist. Uh, you it's know, your boy. Yeah, David's you got it. Run. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that is interesting that uh, Celeste didn't choose to do that. So there's a few theories, I guess, like I, I was going to talk about the later, but they mentioned like, are they spies or whatever? But it looks like this is just a way that they try. They came up with a plan like, gee, what would get us? picked up by union ship and then how can we get us going there into krill space because either their tech was failing already and they were hoping for this or they're hoping to aim- aimlessly get into krill space like I, I have no idea what their entire plan was we're definitely going to need the blanks filled in an issue too like like my interpretation of things uh I, I think it's like celeste probably that's um tampered with the electronics or whatever so then like yeah to kind of give the illusion of like drifting aimlessly into curl space. That's but, a good point. She's the one with the know-how for sure. Mm-hmm. So we'll figure we'll figure it out by by the next issue, guys. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. So that that's one element. Uh, yeah, I think Celeste would definitely have the know-how to to mess with that technology or to make it look like no one's been looking after it. So there's that. Or I mean, she's so devout with uh, you know the teachings of Avis that uh, she just did neglect it and it worked out with her story. So who knows? Yeah, it's all true. These are all very likely possibilities. So yeah, Darden mentions that his sensors, communications, and navigations are out and that he's been flying blind in the curl space. That's just such a shady story, but they have all the, they have all the qualifications. Like they, they say shortly after that they looked at, Kelly looked it up and uh, it, it does say it in their system that, that they have, are xenoanthropologists and they have been sent out to go to Mizar 2, which is what they mentioned, that they were going to go check out the culture of Mizar 2. And that's all there in the records. So by all accounts, I mean, it is shady that all their systems are down, but they are our people. We we can't just throw them in the brig. Like, as we find out, these are, like, the same people that studied, like, the Ankana that was brought in back. So, I mean, like, these are union people. And despite how iffy situation looks right now, um, they have, like, like, all authority to be doing what they're doing. It's just very suspicious. Yeah, the possibility of them being spies is mentioned in this issue. And... They'd have to be really, really good spies with a lot of stuff done if they were, because they'd have to be implanted with a full history. So technically, I mean, with them being interested in the Creole religion, they almost are like not really sleeper agents, but they almost are converting and just siding with the Krill more so than the humans. So this is essentially what they would want there as a Krill. Yeah, like it, it's it's kind of true. Yeah, like the way I could see it is like if they were spies, they'd definitely be just like double agents. 
like I wouldn't say that it's any like transcellular micrografting took place or anything like that, you know, because Lamar does know Celeste from school and everything. So I think it'd be too much of like a if they are who they say they are and they're like double agents, I think that would be the more likely um, event if they were spies. But yeah, unless you've got the uh, Dr. Aronov's research there with them and the Krill ship to go back in time or something. I don't think there's any way to put spies in that way. No, that totally. Deep. Yeah, so anyways, Ed mentions that he does have to report to Eden Station, and Darden and his people are just forced, they're not prisoners, but they give him quarters and stuff. It's like, yeah, you guys just stay around here until we figure out what's going on. And uh, one thing, I like, I love the cover for this issue, and now that we've got the story for, you know, or at least seen the events in the comic, it's great, because you have Lamar and Celeste on the cover, they look really happy, and then you have Yoffit with like a, oh, mouth, like, uh, you know, <laughs> and Dan Dan just looks like too awkward to even like go and approach her. I, I think it's a really good little encapsulation of the engineering vibes yeah it's like super like neck beardy down in engineering i would say <laughs> um yeah with lamar being the exception and yafit i mean i want yafit with a beard now that you <laughs> like his whole like lower like stomach area is just like neck beard. Just beardy. oh my gosh oh i need that i need that yafit's been greatly rendered in this issue it can't be easy to get the gelatinous blob and get the color blends right and stuff like that but no this was a great uh Great rendering of Yafit by David Cabeza. And in the scene when they're they're just going down to like the shuttle bay there, um, and then Yafit's like, "Hey John," and he's like, "Yeah," he's like, "I noticed something unusual." Just like that little cheeky grin that Yafit has. No, it's great. Really good interpretation of Yafit here. And I love how Dan and Yafit don't even give up when they realize that they already know each other and clearly, you know, have more in common than Dan and, and Yafit. <laughs> it's like there's some sparks flying and they're still trying their best. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love Dan when Dan just goes like, I'm Dan and we want to help you. I'm Dan. Like, he's just like so often. Yeah, it's like smooth. <laughs> but I mean, he's already dated Alara there, Dan. So, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he has a way with women, except uh, that they didn't go so well. Yeah, yeah. I want to I want to um, make a, a clear differentiation between having gone on a date and having dated. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> and we're not talking about carbon dating, although it is carbon that is dating. I just like how they get the pose right too of Yahoo when he types up on the like engineering panel there from the ground. He has his arms stretched out. Like it, it really is just like a show. No, oh, it's perfect. Um, a strange little thought that I had when I when I noticed that is like, why is it that Yahoo? I mean, he doesn't have eyes, so it doesn't really matter that his yeah. head isn't to that level. But when you mentioned that, I was thinking like, what's the most efficient way for him to go up on the thing and press the buttons? Like he should just go up and stand over it like a footstool or whatever with like four little stances and then he can have his own like limbs come out and like he can hover above it and have better access to the buttons and press them quicker if he has to. True. Yeah. And if you guys, if this is your first episode of the Redenbacher, yes, we do talk about Yafit this much every episode. So uh, it's, it's true. So I hope you guys like Yafit as much as we do. Yeah, what's funny is, uh, like, Celeste and John, they're still they're still talking. This is on the next page now. And then uh, she's like, John Lamar, come to my rescue. And then Dan's like, you like the beach, Celeste? And then <laughs> Yoffit's like, give it up, Dan, we're done. And he's, like, almost, like, melting. And he's, like, he's like totally, like, sad there. He knows, like, it's game over, bro. And, like, Dan doesn't quite realize it yet. I, I really like that. And, uh, yeah, so we learned that Lamar and Celeste went to Union Point together and that she was actually in engineering. And then she mentions that she gave it up to take up xenoanthropology which is you know that's huge you're giving up science for xenoanthropology but specifically interested in the krill like it's not like uh what's a job i can get into it's you know or darden there convinced her 
to come in the mission. He was looking for someone that was, you know, good at engineering that he could recruit for his ship. Because otherwise, I don't know how she ends up here because she didn't graduate as an engineer. She, oh, well, I guess she became an anthropologist and then. But I, I don't know what what was the crux for her getting into anthropology. She must have met Darden first. There must have been like something because when you look at like engineering and you look at like anthropology, like these are like two very different fields of work. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would like I don't know what happened because as we know at this point, like Lamar has been an acting officer for quite a while now, like at least a year, and presumably before then. So we can pretty much guess that yeah, like Celeste, like I don't I don't even know how that's like possible. Because they went to school together, she dropped a like course and then started a whole new major. Anyway, we don't know if she probably... graduated is you know anthropology too. She could just be like under the wing of Dart and then their crew and stuff like that and not officially graduate, right? Like I don't think this she cares true. about prestige, right? I think as soon as she found out about the crew religion or you know the word of Avis, I think that that would definitely uh, kind of sway her because that seems to be the the biggest focus of her life is the crew religion that kind of guides all her decisions. Like it seems like the crew religion aspect would have come in like much later than like the anthropology just because like well i don't know it's hard to say maybe she had an elective in xenoanthropology and then it just swayed her when they talked about the cruel religion when they're like you know what that makes sense a role for men a role for women you know schedule this community blah 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 blah. and who knows maybe that blew her mind so you never know there's i'd like to i don't know some way i'm sure they'll explain it in some dialogue next week of like oh yeah i met darden and then he swayed me because you know next week we're going to see with with lamar going come on celeste i knew i knew you what happened to you yeah no you're definitely right we'll just hang out for next week and see what happens there because like you say um there's got to be there's got to be a conversation between lamar and um celeste there no, you're definitely right. I'd forgotten about this, but uh, they mentioned this on uh, in the Krill episode that the Krill homeworld, also called Krill, I'm pretty sure, is uh, surrounded by clouds. So only like 4% of the light actually makes it through. So that's mm-hmm. why, you know, they used light on them to uh, to get out of there. It's their great weakness. But it's funny how this, this, uh, this species that's so enthralled by religion the one thing that actually uh that can stop them is being literally enlightened so enlightenment is what uh, what keeps that is their greatest weakness yeah it's true um hmm it is funny how literally like the like knowledge is often represented by the light and just like you know the light just exposes everything everything that we're afraid of like all of our fear is like oh maybe this dumb this this one belief is false so I think it's a really cool kind of like literal literal interpretation of like you know the light is just shining its light on everything it's, it's cool it's cool I like that it's like the only thing that can really change their ways would be enlightenment and i mean like so often religion like certain things are just like asking certain questions or having certain um uncertainties is is really like against like taboo mm-hmm. so like staying in the dark in like a figurative way um is keeping like the krill in such like an extreme religious culture mm-hmm. So, yeah, I th- no, that's that's actually super cool, Matt. I like that a lot. One thing I was wondering with the Krill ship is, like, why even have the feature to have the light turn off, like, brighter than they are there on the ship? Like, it's just, like, asking for it. It's like, let's make it so that our guns turn around and can shoot us from the inside or something. It's just so, like, no, why would you even do that? But uh, I still love the episode, but there are a little uh, kind of, like, nitpicky things I could mention. I'm pretty sure in the episode they, they say something about having to overload them or something. Oh, okay, okay, fair enough. But I, I know what you mean. It's kind of like if people made a light um, source, like a different kind of light bulb, 
that actually produced like mad UV rays and gave us like, you know, like skin cancer or something. Yeah. But like we just keep them at a level that it <laughs> yeah. doesn't do that. <laughs> like yeah, no, no, it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, so later on we're in the meal hall and Gordon is eating his aforementioned sushi, you know, he's enjoying that. Maybe he ordered it thinking, "Oh, man, this he's probably got a hankering for sushi, can't quite recall it, but you know, all this krill stuff, I guess, might give him an appetite for sushi." He but... craves some raw fish. Hey, want some wasabi bordas? Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Darden enters and uh, with his little entourage there and he talks he asks Gordon about the religious ceremony. And we first and this is where we learn the names of his friends, Karks and Franz. So I assume Franz is the human and Karks is the uh, alien. Yeah, I was going to say, and can you guess which is which? Like, Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I actually no. like to think that the kind of reptilious guy's name is Franz. Uh, but yeah, so we finally get a name for Karks and Franz, and uh, they're, they're intent. They really want to know about this. So Gordon tells them about their infiltration of the Akar and how they watch, you know, the Krill ceremony, a religious ceremony as spies. So that they seemed interested in that, and then, uh, you know, they run off. And we then see uh, Celeste run to Lamar, which is pretty easy to do when Lamar's like hanging out outside your quarters there waiting. And uh, he asked her if he can buy her a drink. And that's way easier when you don't have uh, capital in this world and you can just synthesize anything that you want. <laughs> that luxury, I guess. You know, it's mentioned in... It, it, they say it on the Orville Wikia. They say that uh, that's a continuity error or like an error. But I, I don't know about that. It's just kind of like an expression like buy you a drink. It's better than like synthesize you a free beverage that anyone has access to. Hi, can I be a gentleman and prepare you a beverage that you could easily prepare on your own with little to no effort? Hey, you want some water from that fountain in the hallway? You know, it's just, I you got know. you. Like, yeah. No, I know what you mean. It kind of doesn't make sense, but come on, guys. It's just like a flirtatious, generic line. Yeah, yeah I'm fine with that. So he, uh, she turns him down saying, uh, can I take a rain check? They're going to go do some, uh, go over some protocol before landing on Mizar 2 just to be prepared. So he says, okay. And then he runs off to see Alara, who's observing the hangar bay. I think this is in like Alara's little security area. And uh, she's looking over the, the bay camera just on the outside of the ship. And Lamar mentions that he can use uh, the internal cameras of the ship to see exactly what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Alaris is like, oh, that's kind of like an invasion of privacy. Like, I can say I heard someone scream, and then she smiles. It's like, eh, you know, fair enough. And it's kind of good they did spy on here. So they spy on them. And then we get this reaction shot that's almost like the angle that you see of like, uh, like the angle of the camera is pointing out the birth canal during like a birth giving scene or something like that. But uh, they look all surprised. Like, oh my god, I can't believe it. And in my mind, I'm like, what are they having like an orgy in that little shuttle or there? What's going on? <laughs> I think that's what they wanted. They wanted to give the people with the dirty minds a chance to let their imaginations run wild there. It's like, what's going on? Some kind of religious sex party? Like. Yeah. Well, uh, cut out the sex party, but uh, keep the religious because they are recreating the ceremony Gordon was just talking about. They don't have a human head, though. Maybe use like a watermelon or something instead. Got a little smiley face drawn on it with a Sharpie lip. And the ceremony doesn't have to be done with a human. It must just be another, like another life form's head, like another sentient life form's head. Because yeah, it definitely does not need to be a human because Krill regard everything that aren't Krill as like yeah. an as like a a lesser so it'd kind of be like how we see say you know all the animals as just being animals and we're superior to them there's actually a reference i can't remember if it was in the comic or in the in the episode but kelly makes like a reference to christianity when she says like god made um like beasts inferior to man so it's 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 similar to that i think that was in the episode in the uh yeah the i think it was in the episode but no, it's it's true. It's all, it all ties together because these are like heavily connected. And uh, I just think it's really funny to see like a society of atheists and the way that the other people rebel is by taking up religions. 
it's funny. <laughs> Even if it's ones that specifically say like anyone who's not the person that made the religion is like garbage. It's like, oh yeah, I could get into this. That's the problem with this whole belief of the following of Avis, where it's just like nothing has a soul unless it's a krill. So, you know, I, at that point, it, it's super exclusionary. So that's why they're at war with all these other united forces. It's just the krill is like, no, 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 this is my, you know, this is my devotion. And it's funny because they almost mirror the Kalon, where the Kalon are robotic, meaning like we are, they almost feel the same way with their their knowledge and feeling that they can never be top and their cold calculatedness of being non-biological, even though, I, I don't know where that stands exactly, actually. But you look at the Krill, which are biological and have religion. So it's like logic versus emotion a lot of times. Yeah, no, it's 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 actually quite interesting that you bring that up. I wonder what the krill actually do think of the Kalon, because Kalon are not biological creatures, so they would be excluded from like Avis's teaching probably. Even though Talia in the episode Krill, she mentions like well, even a computer can speak. That doesn't mean they have a soul. But there you so, go, and that's probably their thought process on the Kalon right there in that sentence. That was a good. That's good to highlight there actually. And we know that they know that the Kalon's a greater threat because they helped them in the season two finale. Yeah, well, not the season two finale in uh, Identity Part 2. They helped them. So, you know, the Krill, they know what the greater evil is there. But uh, and then I remember after the conflict when I was saying maybe people will see uh, we'll see peace. And then he's like, well, Avis will show us the way or we'll see. We'll check with Avis about that. But So I don't think that's going to happen either way unless someone's going to rewrite the uh, on car <laughs> there or whatever. Turns out there was mistranslation. Like, I think a lot of it's very similar to the Constitution where in the States where it's like, these are our core beliefs, but they don't think about what could be outside of this world. Like they don't think about like the right to bear arms. They didn't think that people would be able to have like RPGs and like ridiculous weaponry. They couldn't even fathom then. Like they had like muskets and shit around them. Probably not even that. That's how well I know history. So there's that. And then you think of the Krill, they write this, the Ankar, and they're like, okay, everyone is safe, blah, blah, blah. And you have to be Krill. At that point, who knows if they even had space travel around then. A lot of religions are found at ancient times in the point in uh, people's uh, history. So very well could have been before they even knew about other forces out there, other species and other kinds of people. No, you're absolutely right. And that's something I hadn't really considered. Um, like the Ankana may have been written like before space travel. If the Krill had not left their planet at this point in time, like the context would have been different um, based off like where their species has gotten to in, I guess, just like evolution. So, I mean, yeah, like if someone who practices Christianity on planet Earth was like, I feel like that's like a big problem with, uh, not problem with Christianity, but they like would deny like the possibility of intelligent life like residing elsewhere in the galaxy based on the text that kind of guides them through this this world, right? Um, mm -hmm. So it could be similar to that with the krill, like where they had never been exposed to these other like sentient um, like humanoid creatures after they left their planet. Maybe they just you know, didn't think to, well, I mean, like, it's religious text, it's sacred, you can't adjust it, you can't alter it, you know what I mean? So maybe you're right, like, maybe they just figured, oh, well, since we were the intelligent species on this planet, maybe that's the way it is in the universe after they acquired space travel. That's a good point. One thing that I noticed as well in the Krill episode was, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Kelly that says, uh, you know, usually as a, as a as a people advance, uh, religion falls by the wayside is more or less what she said to paraphrase. And I was thinking of the Mocklins, where the Mocklins still have their heavy belief system, but they're still allowed to join the union and and stuff like that. So they're kind of similar to the Krill, but they're less they're not necessarily as extreme in their their beliefs. At least they don't try to do it aboard other ships and stuff like that. Like they can still commune with the union, but it's like back on Mocklins, we're doing it our way. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, it's interesting. And like the union respects that they respect that they're, you know, the culture is 
almost to the core fundamentally different. Even um, though Ed highlighted that, like, we don't think it's going to stay that way for very long after the Reflectors episode or Deflectors. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, I mean, I guess, like, the general, like, idea that we're trying to convey is that religion, in a lot of instances, it keeps uh, a mind closed and it doesn't really allow you to think outside of the box that you've been trained to think within. Yeah, ancient ancient text, ancient literature, you know, you can't just follow that to a point. You have to take – it's interesting to learn the way people thought back in the day, and some core concepts do carry through over time no matter how far away we go. But there is a lot of things that just fall by the wayside, and you realize, like, we kind of need to, like, evolve and adapt to these kind of views. We can't go killing anybody for something that they literally cannot control, like, you know? So there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that – need to be left by the wayside to adapt you can't just follow something written 100 percent of the time the person you were uh, a decade ago if you, you can give yourself advice now you need you learn stuff throughout time we're always evolving the human consciousness is always changing and adapting ideas that work and don't work so we really need to follow the stuff that works we need to know our core principles and know what needs to be changed and improved upon Absolutely. Like in an ever evolving society, like things just don't stay relevant um, that long. Um, And like, yeah, like when you're taking lessons from 2000 plus years ago, that's for a specific time and times do change. So, I mean, yeah, like maybe it's time for the Krill to really question their their beliefs now that they've been exposed to so much more. And religion helps people feel belonging, like they get a sense of belonging that they're a part of something. And I think that that's what this group of uh, xenoanthropologists got, because when uh, Darden's talking about, you know, them picking up their religion, he says, we'd have daily study of the scripture, prayer before meals, the roles of men and women. We began to fully understand the belief system. So they got really into it and they just found like a piece of belonging, which, you know, doesn't necessarily need to be there with religion. But it's really funny how if you take out that one element of like nothing that isn't cruel has a soul and humans can join them, then maybe they would maybe the crow might change their mind like hey we can all worship avis together it doesn't matter if you're crow like if that one line wasn't there who knows mm-hmm. maybe that they can coexist completely with the union fundamentally at like the level of this religion and that verse alone it just it, it just makes it impossible really for them to be accepted um unfortunately and it's actually the perfect guys because um after they find after Alara and Lamar see them doing the religious study, the Orville crew confront Darden and his people, and Darden reveals that Admiral Halsey taxed them to study the Ankar and that they began practicing the religion. It's funny, the anthropologist, xenoanthropology, is the perfect cover for this because uh, it's also revealed that they spoke to Talea, who's currently a prisoner on the Orville, and she ran them through the ceremony. So the xenoanthropology is the perfect cover. It's like, oh, I'm just studying this religion. But what happens if what you study and you're supposed to be the authority on this actually gets past your logic and reasoning and starts to change the way you think? So this is a really cool thought of that or example of that. We're also like really, really lucky because – I remember in the episode of The Krill, they don't get the complete uh, Ankana. Like, if you watch, like, the last scene, I believe that they're taking data from the Ankana is when their, like, hologram uh, emitter starts running out. So they miss, like, a good amount of, like, the book. Like, they're not able to get it. And then we see in the comic that Talea, being the devout religious um, Avis worshiper she is, she filled in a lot of content. Like, I don't know yeah. if you took note to how much of the, like, the Ankana was left unscanned, but, like, and if she completed the Ankana for them, like, that's amazing. 
Or she could also lie and tell themselves they could help suit the, pr- the purpose of the Krill even more and say, do not trust a human, do not do this, and you must do anything you can to help your cause or whatever. Just fill in with little, even more things that would help them maybe get her out of the prison. Maybe somehow she got technology from them that would allow her to switch forms into Lieutenant Tyler. You never know. Another thing is, uh, you know, not all religion isn't all bad. It's given us something great like Easter eggs, which uh, David Cabez has managed to sneak into one of the panels here. When they show them studying the all the uh, the Krill text and all the uh, the basis of the Krill religion, uh, there's a screen there with uh, Karks looking at that has the Krill text there, and it says the names David Cabeza, Seth MacFarlane, David A. Goodman, and Michael Atea. So people created, you know, Seth responsible for creating the show, and the David Goodman, David Cabeza, and Michael Atea who gave us the comic there. So so it's it's a nice little shout out to them. Yeah, it's a it's a brilliant little shout out actually. I didn't catch it. Matt had to show me it. <laughs> well, I had to find it on Twitter thanks to you know uh, really good the uh, Twitter fan base out there that knows and uh, is just as into this stuff as we are. So uh, shout out to you guys and. Um, no, I, I like the little Easter eggs, and uh, you know we were looking seeing how these guys ended up krilling like a villain, but uh, we ended up finding out the little, uh, little Easter eggs. That was cool. <laughs> and that probably will be the title of the episode because I don't want to think of anything else. Krillin like a villain. I'm down. Because they are Krillin like a villain, because uh, the Krills are the villain, and they are learning the Krill text, so, uh, you know, that's cool. It's so, true, you know, live in the Krill life. Yeah, so, you know, I hate it when good anthropologists, xenoanthropologists go bad, but uh seems like this is the way. So, like, this is my core problem with them basically studying the religion is it says we're going to kill humans. So it just seems like that's, like, a likely way to get them killed. I don't know, maybe they asked Talay to clarify on the show. So, no, 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 humans that serve our cause, you know, well, you'll be slaves. You get the luxury of being enslaved by Avis. <laughs> you know, who knows? So, anyway, our xenoanthropologists are very much under the opinion um, now that everything's like on the table there, uh, they're very much of the opinion that the crow will accept them. Alara is like, but that's insane. The crow will kill you on sight. Celeste says, uh, you're wrong. They will accept us. Like based on the text that we know, they're not going to be accepted. And it's a huge oversight. Like, yes, they're very passionate about the religion. But I mean, I feel like we're like picking and choosing the things that we like to, to, to think about here. Like we know that they're not going to be accepted. Yeah, maybe the uh, humans don't have souls line did not make the translation, and then the, you know, <laughs> I, I guess that's what. But I, I like it when they accuse him of being spies. Uh, he says, "No, we're not spies." Uh, and then Darden says, "We were worshiping Avis. Don't you believe in freedom of religion?" Like, and he's so sinister in that panel when he says it. He's like, "You don't believe in freedom of religion?" Like, no, no, we do, but just not one that's gonna go get you killed and now us killed. Yeah, it's like uh, there's a scene with Darden, and he's like, "You look down on us for believing in something greater than ourselves." Something that gives us strength and a purpose and a shared identity. And then, I mean, I, I just love this scene with Ed. And he's like, maybe I do because I just can't see religion as anything other than superstition. I don't know. It's like it's it's quite heavy. Seth himself is like, uh, you know, a well-known atheist. And I think that Ed Mercer is very much like a parallel to his real views there. And I think that, you know, there is a happy medium to like, yeah, it's cool to have faith. It's fun to have faith. And the cold calculating of, like, no faith at all, nothing, you know, it's all science, blah, blah, blah. Like, there's got to be a happy medium. And I don't think that, you know, just dismissing any religious belief, I don't think, you know, that's kosher. That's not necessarily always the right thing to do or ever necessarily. But uh, I think there's a happy medium of, like, respect belief and, uh, you know, science has an important part in society as well. I just think it's interesting um, because, like, yeah, they're getting so involved in this religion. And from what I can tell, at this point in time, like, religion has you know, kind of phased out quite heavily and we've accepted to look beyond um, religion. And it's just strange to see, like, this xenoanthropologist group kind of 
finding so much comfort in another religion, which, which seems like something of the past at this point in time. Yeah, it's like Kylo Ren in Force Awakens, like digging up Darth Vader's old helmet and be like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. It's like, eh, this isn't going to go the way you think it will, kid. You know, mm-hmm. it's there's certain people, especially that are that in believing a different religion, it's going to hurt them more than others. For instance, like if you're, you know, uh, if you're a cis male or whatever and you're getting into some religions that hate homosexuals, you're going to have an easier time than actual homosexuals getting into that religion. So, you know, it, it all depends on the person. And it, there's certain people that are excluded more than others in, in a lot of religions. In this case, it's all human. So they're every, everyone in the universe is united by exclusion, basically, by the krill, which is probably one of the dumbest parts of their religion. So you basically just make them the enemy of everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. That's that, that's some heavy stuff. So yeah, Ed mentions that he didn't get all the Ankar, and then Darden says like I managed to get time to talk to Talia, which is so. I mean, it's it's stupid of them. To, it's not stupid of them to let it. It's like he's a xenoanthropologist. Of course he would. But I still think Ed should have thought like, why does he want to see Talia so bad? But of course he has a perfect excuse to go see Talia because I've been studying their people. So it actually is like a really good excuse or a good cover. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Um. Yeah, it's it's the perfect cover. We need help with this text that is Krill. We have one Krill in custody. Little do they know they're actually looking for, like, religious guidance. But, eh. Yeah, it's true. So, uh, as, uh, you know, as you're thinking, like, we're not, we're going to protect the lives here. And then uh, Darden goes, uh, you may not have a choice in that matter, Captain. And then uh, Kelly and Gordon are like, what do you mean? And then uh, it's already too late. Uh, Gordon calls with the bridge because he's noticed that... Uh, he says, uh, I stopped this because we're not where we're supposed to be. The navigational computer is on the fritz, and they can't find their location. So something has happened. Isaac mentions that he's found the difficulty. A computer program is downloaded into the engineering systems and found its way to the navigational computer. It has been minutely adjusting our course over the last several hours, so we have veered from our planned trajectory. And I think we can all kind of know where they're where they're going. They're trying to veer them in the, into krill space. Yes, sir. They sure as heck are. So yeah, Lamar says that he thinks it's some, it's the feedback that they got from the transport. And then Dan, of course, has to nudge and be like, it was that feedback that you told me to ignore. <laughs> like totally like writing about, it's like, is this the time to really say that's like, you told me to ignore? It's like, Dan, come on. You know, Lamar says like, yeah, there was feedback when they hooked up to their computer to turn off the engines. They got unusual feedback. And he says that they may have snuck the program in there, be it when they were connected to the system. And, uh, you know, Dan again reminds him that he detected the feedback and he said, Captain, you probably know that, and that he specifically did it. So Dan's trying to get, you know, brownie points for doing this. And then uh, Lamar finds the program on the computer. There's a series of like zeros and ones like the Matrix. And then he says that it must have been Celeste that snuck it onto the computer. So it turns out she's still quite the engineer, hey? <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he, sometimes you don't forget uh, all the stuff you learn in school. So that was nice. But I was confused here. It's like, so did they plant the program when the computer, uh, when the Orville accessed their engines and then they planted it and then she went and activated it later is that the idea i think like the most that i can make sense out of it would be that yes when they remotely took control over the like uh xenoanthropologists uh shuttle when they did that there was like a system link and she must have uploaded um like packets of some sort like through that connection mm-hmm. and then maybe she got kind of into a place where she maybe shouldn't have been on the Orville, or maybe it just like remotely started um, like after all the files, like uh, transfer was done. Mm. That's like the best that I can really come up with. Yeah. Sometimes Celeste is more, you know, you never know what you're going to get with all Celeste. So that was Celeste is more <laughs> like for, that. Our, for a terrible pun of the week. So 
we find out that yes, it's been slowly putting them on a different course, and Borda says, I've determined our coordinates. And it goes, I don't think I want to know. And I think we already know, as Kelly says. I think you already do know. And they're in Krill territory as we wait for issue three. It's a good cliffhanger. It's awesome because, like, not just in Krill space, just the Orville. They're in there with people that actually want to connect to the Krill and communicate with them and probably switch over to be on their side. So it's like you've already got, uh, you know, turncoats on board and you can't even control your own navigational system. So they're in trouble. Yeah, it's definitely true. I mean, there are 35 light years across the border, so they're quite deep into Krill space. I wouldn't be surprised if we see our anthropologist group try and uh, like reach the Krill like with like a hidden transmission or something next episode, next comic, I suppose, next, next issue. There you go. Yeah, I really um, want them to give Talia that technology that I mentioned before, because I think that would be a cool end. Last week I mentioned it'd be sweet if we got the human uh, human form of Talia, and I think that that would be a really cool ending of, like, whatever happens with the xenoanthropologist next week, maybe they get sent off, or like, but yeah, oh, too bad that didn't work. Although I think I might have something else that might, and then they hand her some tech or something like that. I think it'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be interesting if they got... Um... Like with like the microcellular or cellular micrografting, if they were maybe, if they maybe like donated like like human DNA to Ooh, it or something. That's cool. Karks need not apply, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, piss off, Karks. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's a good point. That's cool. That, that's interesting. So I think that that would be a really cool ending for a comic. It'd be a really cool, chilling uh, ending. But uh, who knows what we're gonna get next week? Uh, it's it's gonna be interesting. Yeah. Um. I How mean, you... we're in a pickle right now, so there's gonna be a, there's gonna be a lot of good stuff in this next issue for sure. Yeah, and uh, we have a liar that opened the pickle jar, but what do we do when the juices are leaking into the control panel and stuff? We're in trouble. So you know, uh, it, it'll be interesting. The krill next week. I mean, it's hard enough as it is to get people away from the religion that they're devoted to, as is. Let alone when you have no time and they're in the middle of meeting their you know their holy men. You know, so it's trouble. Yo, it's definitely trouble. <laughs> Yeah, but I really enjoyed this issue. I don't think uh, any of these comics have been below a four out of five for me. They've been really enjoyable, uh, you know, uh, totems of the show that push the show, the narrative forward and add more stuff to it. Even if we're a year behind what we saw on TV, I think that they're adding a lot of cool world building stuff that could hopefully play out on the show or in future comics. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I think these comics have been nothing but fantastic. It's been so nice to be able to go through them, kind of, you know, keep keep busy while we patiently wait for season three yeah i think it's a beautiful bridge between seasons one and two and i, I don't know like i i can't wait to read the next episode and that's his episode instead yeah. of issue because it pretty much is just like an episode of the comic with uh, and he's not a comic guy but no i mean it's great if if they've got ben converted to reading comics now you know they've done a good job is there anything else that you uh, you want to say about this issue? uh no i guess that pretty much summarizes it um yeah it's been fantastic yeah, guys, thanks for listening. You can uh, interact with us on Twitter and Instagram at the Redenbacher. We're posting like weapons grade memes there uh, on both accounts there. So check those out if you want to see, you know, chugs throwing Pokeballs and anything else. So that's fun. Uh, we're on Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, iTunes, pretty much anywhere you want. If there's a certain platform we're not on and you're dying to listen to us, uh, give us a message or email us at the Redenbacher at gmail.com and we'll see what we can do to get on that platform. We want to make this as accessible as possible for you guys and uh, we'd love to have more listeners and your feedback so any questions again just email us there at the at gmail.com and uh yeah we'd love to hear from you guys and with that from the 01001 nebula for ben bowlerwell this is matt murphy signing off